Sometimes it's good just to remind ourselves of who God is, of his greatness, of his majesty, and of his splendor, that he is great in power, great in glory, king of heaven, king of earth. We need to remind ourselves of that. It's a, a bit like, isn't it, this sort of weather. I don't know about you, but the last few days, you know, it just seems a bit sort of dark and grey. You know the sun is shining, but you can't see it. You can't see it, but you know that one day it will, bre- it will break through, and you will see it. And sometimes life's a bit like that. You can't see what God is doing. You can't see how God is working. But we know, don't we? We know that there will come a day when the glory of the sun will shine brightly and all will be revealed and he will be Lord over all. Okay, a word for uh, 2019. Well, there's going to be lots of words. And um, we're going to turn to God's, God's word, first of all, a good place to start. John 15, John's Gospel, chapter 15. It's an old word, but it's also a new word. It's a passage that we looked at a couple of times last year, but it's a passage that God has taken me back to this week. It's a passage that I believe uh, combines two of the themes that we had last year as we reflected on our church strap line, which is there on the uh, screen behind me. Live for God's glory, love one another, make Jesus Christ known, as we reflected on that at the beginning of the year, over a period of weeks. Uh, But it's also a passage that reflects on the series that we had towards the end of the year, on on building community. Because in this passage, it speaks very much about being community, and what community looks like. And so there very much is a, a word A word for today, a word for this year uh, in this passage. So let's hear these words from John chapter 15. Let's remind ourselves that these aren't John's interpretation. These are words that Jesus uttered, that Jesus spoke to his disciples and gave. So you're hearing here some of the words of Jesus, the one who we say we follow, the one that we say that we obey and serve. So John chapter 15 verse 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. If I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. There's a lot in that passage that we can draw out. There's a lot there that speaks and we could draw out specific words from it. You know, for the year, love one another as I have loved you. That would be a good motto for the year. How about remain in me as I remain in you? Again, be a good motto for the year. How about, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. They're all powerful statements. They're all powerful words. You'll be aware that, uh, yeah, there doesn't appear to be a motto verse for this year. A, because we didn't get round to choosing one, but B, also, we believe that God is always speaking. God is always moving us on. God is always bringing his focus into our lives. As I've said, this is an old word, but it's also a new word. It's something that God has been speaking to us over the last 12 months, and it's something that God will be continuing to speak to us over the next year, I'm sure. As I look at this passage, I focus very much upon that verse. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The passage is all about it's all talking about bearing fruit, about being fruitful and having fruitful lives, of demonstrating our faith in Jesus Christ. But also in our prayers and in our worship and that we've been reflecting a little bit upon the glory of God. I wonder what it means to you to live for God's glory. We sing it. I want to live for God's glory. But what do you mean? What does it look like? What does a life lived for God's glory look like? We can think of God's glory in terms of the magnificence and the splendour of creation. We all love a good sunrise if we're up. We love a good sunset. And we see the glory of it. Particularly if it's there behind a mountain range. We love the glory of the stars when we see the cloudless sky. We think of the magnificence of creation and we think of the magnificence of God and of who God is. 
And there's a sense in which, yes, glory is God's signature. It's who he is. He's the God of glory. He is perfect light, perfect love. In him, there is no darkness. He's everything that we can think of that is beautiful, only magnified. But there's also that sense in this word that it it speaks of of, of that which honours God. That which lifts him up. That which elevates him. That which gives him the renown that is due to to him. So in in what ways does our our lives honour him? How do we demonstrate this? Well, this passage speaks very much to us as a community, but it also speaks to us very much as individuals. Because there is a picture that Jesus draws in this passage. And he's drawing an old picture new, if you like. An old picture new. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? How many times have I heard somebody say, I'm going to do this for Jesus. I'm going to win the world for Jesus. What arrogance we have in those statements. Because this brings us back to a point of humility and the realisation that there is nothing that any of us can do without the lifeblood of Jesus coursing through our veins, through our very being. The vine is an Old Old Testament biblical image for the nation of Israel. The Old Testament writers had chosen the vine to to paint a picture of how God's rich provision had been for Israel. And all through the Old Testament there is this image of the Israel being the vine of God, of God's blessing. In Psalm 80, it speaks of God bringing a vine out of Egypt, which he then planted in ground that he had carefully cleared and chosen. In Isaiah chapter 5, it speaks of Israel as the choicest of vines, planted on a fertile hillside from which rubble had been removed and cleared. God had prepared that place in Ezekiel 17, uses the same picture, adding that alongside the good soil, there was abundant water. What we have here is an image that, here is the people of Israel, they are the vine that God has planted, and God has abundantly blessed them. God has given them everything that they need to be fruitful, to blossom and to flourish and to be fruitful. And Jesus picks up this image and he now translates that image into a picture of the embryonic church, much in the same way that Paul uses the image or picture of the body in 1 Corinthians 12. It is also an image of what the church should look like in community. We reflected on on that a little bit in the autumn. Christ at the centre and the very lifeblood or the sap of the vine, coursing through the branches. Everything we are flows from and through him. Apart from him, we have no purpose. We can do nothing. 
It is only by remaining in him that we will be fruitful. I remember when we moved into our house in London, down the bottom of the garden there was this vine and it was rooted in, I think, the next door neighbour's garden behind us. But it came over our fence, it went over our neighbour's fence and it went up into the neighbour's tree and it, in a sense, swamped everything and you realise just how, how, how fruitful they can be how quickly they grow, this magnificent vine. But there's a sense in which a vine is not a beautiful plant. It only has one purpose, and that is to produce grapes. That wine that you all love to drink, that choicest of grapes, it only has one purpose. What is Jesus talking about here? It's a no-frills, practical plant that has only one purpose, to produce fruit. One of the things that, we found, that I found with this vine in the garden is that it had gone over our garden, the next neighbour's garden, up into their tree. But the fruit that it produced was sour. And we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the, the, the purpose of the branches, fed from the life of the root of the vine, is to produce fruit. Jesus tells us that bearing fruit is our business. But what is the fruit that he's talking about? What is the fruit that you and I, that each and every one of us, we as a community, should be demonstrating that brings glory to the Father? Well, there's the fruit bearing of witnessing to God's salvation. <coughs> Jesus said to his disciples, go and tell. And that's been a command that has gone down through the ages to each and every one of us. Go and tell. Witness. Witness to God's salvation. Isaiah 27, if we step back into the Old Testament, for example, uses the image of a vine to imagine a day when Jacob will take root, Israel will bud and blossom and fill the world with fruit. The fruit of the message of God, of salvation, will have gone through the world. On this occasion, the fruit is the announcement of God's salvation, his plan for dealing with sin from which all nations were to benefit. It's interesting that last Sunday we had the, the cards out here and at the prayer meeting this week we did the same. People were writing words, people were writing prayers for the church over the next year. And one of the things that came through there in, in, in uh, two or three of the, the, the words was the theme of a lighthouse. Now, why would we need to be a lighthouse here in Peterborough? We're miles from the sea. But the image of a lighthouse, what does a lighthouse do? It warns. It warns oncoming ships that there is a danger on the cliffs. But it's also a comfort and it's a safety and it's a security there. And we're called to be that lighthouse. That's why I've put that, that picture. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth.
there. But what about that passage in Matthew 5? Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Speaking again of that glory, glorifying the Father in heaven. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, let your light shine before others, that they may hear that you're a Christian, and so glorify the Father in heaven. We're so intent, aren't we, so often, about telling people that I'm a Christian, of course, but what Jesus is saying, let your deeds be your lighthouse. Now, hear me out on this. I'm not saying that it's all about our deeds. There are times when we do have to speak about our faith. But let the nature of our character, let the nature of who we are, be our lighthouse. Where is your light shining at the beginning of 2019? Is your light shining or has it become tarnished? Has it become blurred? Has it become a bit mucky? Where is your light shining? <coughs> is your light shining in your workplace? In your community? In your school? Where you live? In your gym? With your walking colleagues? Is your light shining? Do people know that you're a Christian? by your deeds, by who you are? Or do you just simply have to, well, of course, you know I'm a Christian, don't you? You know I go to church, very apologetically. What else is there? Then there's the fruit bearing involved in working for social justice. The short passage in Isaiah 5 that introduces the image of the vine of Israel being a vine also concludes with these words in verse 7 God looked for justice but saw bloodshed for righteousness but heard cries of distress the Israelites had failed to live by and stand for that which was right instead of peace they resorted to violence instead of, of justice they resorted to corruption Instead of protecting the vulnerable, they resorted to abusing them for their own means. The fruit of mission is not only evangelism, but also social justice. I wonder how we see that in our own lives. Or whether we think that's for other people. That's for the Ed Walkers of this world. There. Do you hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 24? when he's talking about the end of times and uh, oh, wait a minute oh, Matthew 25 sorry he's, he's there and he's, he's, uh, he's talking about the sheep and the goats and he says then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous answer, when did I do these things? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Where do we stand on social justice? Where do we stand within our work environment, our home environment, our community? Are we the ones who stand up for those who are knocked down? Are we the ones who stand up for those in the office who perhaps are always being criticised or being shunned? Are we the ones who go to the rescue of those who are broken, who are known to have a shoulder that people can cry on? Are we the ones who support the oppressed? As I look back on my time here at Bretton, I'm pleased, I'm really, I really am, that here is a fellowship, yes, we have been involved in the launching of street pastors here in Peterborough. That as a church, we've been involved in the launching of Hope Interaction. Two things that really sort of come alongside the vulnerable and those who are oppressed. I'm pleased that as a church we support the refuge centre there and all those sort of things because they're part of our mission. Yes, I'm pleased when the baptistry is open, don't get me wrong, and people come and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But what is the fruit of our lives? But then there is also the fruit bearing involved in growing in personal character. How have you grown in personal character this year? Perhaps I shouldn't say this year, because it's only six days old, but how have you grown in the last year? Maybe, maybe you're not the right person to ask. Ask your best mate. Ask your best mate. How do I measure up? How do you see me? How do you see me? Paul gives us some very clear (coughs) guidance. But the fruit, that word fruit again, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ask your best friend, how do I measure up to that? Where am I failing? Where am I failing in that? These are few words, but they can't contain a wealth of truth. They describe the sort of person God longs for you and me to be. By using the single word fruit instead of the plural fruits, Paul reminds us that we cannot pick and choose between these qualities. Well, I'd love to be a little bit kinder, but I'm not sure that I want to be too patient with people. You know, I want to be a little bit more gentle. But Lord, do I really have to be self-controlled? Because you know I like chocolate. Okay, I'm lowering it there. But you get the point. We cannot be specialists in joy while never exercising self-control. We might picture the image Paul gives us is using that of a blended fruit drink. A spiritual fruit smoothie, if you like. 
in which the taste of one ingredient flavours all the others. Because let's be honest, you cannot be faithful without being self-controlled. You cannot be patient without also being loving. You cannot be joyful without being kind. They're all intermingled. They relate to one another. Paul teaches us that although effort is required in, these, in this passage, on our part, it is the Holy Spirit who provides the life deep within, which then produces the fruit. So I ask you, how open are you to the Holy Spirit? We again sing, come, Holy Spirit, come. But how open are you at the beginning of a new year for the Holy Spirit to come and really change you, really change me, really change us? How open are you for the Holy Spirit to come and do something different, something new, something fresh? At our prayer meeting on Wednesday evening, we reflected that it's 280 years 280 years since John and Charles Wesley prayed in uh, a room up in London. There were 60 people gathered there. And they were praying through into 3 a.m. in the morning. And the Spirit came. And shall I tell you, you and I, you and I are the fruit of it. Because it gave birth to a reformation. It gave birth to a reformation of the church here in England at a time of national crisis, at a time when the, when the, when the social fa fabric of society was crumbling far greater than it is today, when the threats to society were far greater than Brexit. Some commentators say that actually what happened in that upper room saved saved England from a bloody revolution of the likes of France. Such was the power of God that it changed ordinary men and women into preachers and teachers and missionaries and evangelists who went not only across the country but around the globe. I want to say, do it again, Lord. I want to say, do it again. In our day, in our day, we have heard of your fame, O oh Lord. Do it again. The prayer of Habakkuk. But what is it that Jesus is talking about here? What are the principles that I believe that in 2019 we need to just follow. It's evident from this passage that Jesus is concerned is for the quality of the fruit. He says in verse 16, fruit that will last. Rather than fruit that can become rotten as soon as it's harvest or even whilst it is still on the vine. So how is that quality of fruit produced? I'm going to suggest Four secrets of spiritual horticulture. I've spoken to you about them before. Four secrets of spiritual horticulture that Jesus brings from this passage. 
Three, we are responsible for, but one only God can do. The problem is we often want God to do the three and we want to ignore the one. Because it, firstly it begins with God. The principle in, will involve pr pruning. Verse 2 refers to the habit of double pruning that was practised in Jesus' day. In April and May, the dead wood was pruned from the vine. Branches that were incapable of bearing fruit. In July and August, weaker branches would then also be pinched out to allow the stronger branches to grow and to produce healthier grapes. That's why I said earlier on about that vine in our garden. It had, been, it had run riot. It hadn't been pruned. Nobody had looked after it. And although, yes, it was a vine, but the fruits were sour. They were bitter. They couldn't be used for anything. You wouldn't want to eat them, and you certainly wouldn't want to make wine with them. Because pruning is necessary and important for the health, welfare, vitality, and fruitfulness of the vine. If we are to be top quality fruit bearers for Jesus, we should expect to experience God's gracious pruning in our lives. <coughs> Can I ask you, when difficulties come in your life, what do you do? Do you embrace them as part of God's purpose for your life? Or do you rant and rave? I wonder how the vine feels when the secateurs come. What does God use, in a sense, to prune us? Well, he uses the situations and the circumstances of our life. It may be that that irritating work colleague who sits at the next desk to you at work is the person that God has placed there to teach you patience. You know that fruit of the Spirit that you have been praying for? God said, okay, I'm going to put this awkward person next to you at work. It may be that that sickness, that disease, that God has allowed you to go through for a period of time is part of his pruning. So that you come to a place where you better depend upon him and you acknowledge who he is. <coughs> and his sovereignty. It may be that God will speak through a scripture and a scripture just some comes out of, the, out, of the, out of the page and it hits you between the eyes. And you have to say, I need to do something about that. It may come through the words of a friend. I doubt if it will come through the criticism of an enemy. But it might do but certainly the words of a friend. But God prunes us. I'm going to say that that pruning does not stop this side of heaven. That pruning does not stop this side of glory. Whether we're as a Christian of six months or a Christian of 60 years, God is still pruning us. God is still wanting to make us more fruitful. But you see, that's the one thing we have no control over. 
That's in the hands of God. And we can either embrace it or we can run from it. Secondly, it will revolve remaining. Verses 4 and 5 teach this. It is obvious that no branch can produce fruit on its own. And it lacks the source of life that alone can generate the fruit. No computer will function when it is cut off from the power supply. The electricity needed to make it work. So it is with us in spiritual terms. The simple secret is to stay close and stay connected to Jesus. How connected are you? How do we do that? Well, we do do it by cultivating bad habits. Regular worship. Can I ask you? Are your worship times inked in in your diary? Or are they pencilled in? Just in case I get a better offer. Just in case something else comes up. Is worship with your, pe- with, your fre- with your fellow believers in the presence of God a priority? Or is it simply an add-on to life? How about reading the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Do you open the Scriptures? I'm fairly confident that we're a fellowship that does open it fairly regularly. But do you open it personally? I've been so blessed over the last three years of doing the Bible in in a year. It's been a challenge, and I know that not everybody can do it. But that challenge to read the Bible in a year. How about a connect group? Do you belong to a connect group? That's one of our small groups. Do you have regular fellowship with other believers outside of a Sunday morning? We're going to be talking a little bit more about that next week when we shall be introducing the connect groups and we shall be just sort of developing that a little bit and the importance for us as a church and as a community. Are you taking time to connect with Jesus? Or can I say, is it always an add-on? Is it always the dregs of the day? Or the dregs of the week? Remain in the vine. It involves praying. Verse 7 appears to give us a blank check as far as praying is concerned. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. But we should not miss the context. These words are written to those who remain in the vine. Why is that? Well, if you remain in the vine and you've got the lifeblood of Jesus flowing through you, then you will not be making vain, foolish, self-centred, isolated requests or asking for anything that dishonours God. But it does ask, it does encourage us to ask for that which glorifies him. As I've mentioned, those... um, Prayers and, and that. Another word that was coming through quite, quite powerfully was the word listen. How often do you listen for God? We're all very good at telling God what he should be doing. 
Now, God, I just want you to do this, and God, I'd just like you to do this, and God, by the way, I'd like that to do, and that to do. You see, because so often what we want to do is we want to sit on the throne. We want to take the place of God. And we want to tell God what he should be doing. Whereas perhaps God is wanting to say, David, could you do that for me? David, I want you to do that. David, I think that needs to change. And that only comes about if we listen. We listen to his word. We listen to his presence. And we give him time. We give him time. We give ourselves time for the things that we love. It might be our sporting passions. It might be our films. It might be our restaurant meals. It might be our reading, our books. It can be any amount of things. It might be our hobbies. It might be the gym. We give priority to the things that we think are important. I want to say to us that listening to God is important, particularly this year. And then it involves loving. Love appears to be the lifeblood of the vine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We should be picking up that uh, later on this year as we begin to look at the letters of John. The whole question of loving. But how has God loved you? He's loved you freely. He didn't ask anything of you. He loved you of his own accord. He loved you selflessly. He loved you lavishly. He loved you sacrificially. And he loved you totally. And he says, love one another like that. Love one another as I have loved you. As I said, there's four things there. Three of them are our responsibility. One we have to leave in the hands of God. Why does Jesus say all this? He says it because he is concerned to, to bring honour to his Father that we should live for God's glory. Bearing fruit, he says, is to my Father's glory. So when you talk about, Lord, be glorified in me, we need to ask ourselves, we need to ask ourselves very clearly, am I witnessing to God's salvation? Is my light shining brightly? Am I working for social justice? Am I standing up for those who are in need? Am I growing in personal character, in those fruit of the Spirit? We reflect the glory of God as we bear fruit through witnessing to his salvation, working for social justice and growing in personal character. That is at the heart of our strap line. To live for God's glory, love one another, make Jesus Christ known. Every time we speak out for Jesus, heaven <laughs> applauds. Every time we stand up for the cause of social justice, 
heaven applauds. And every time we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, heaven applauds. Because God is glorified. God is glorified in you, and he's in me, and in us together. He is honoured, and he is lifted up. Let us pray.